1: What's up, Denver? Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau.
2: I'm Aaron Ryan. I'm John
1: Lovett.
3: I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Later in the show, we'll talk to
1: your governor. Jared Polis is here. But first, let's talk about this week's top story, which is the president being a racist. Um, (laughs) On Tuesday, the House of Representatives passed a formal resolution to condemn the president's racist attack against four Congresswomen of color. (laughs) Four House Republicans and the newly independent Justin Amash joined every Democrat in supporting the resolution, while the rest of the Republican Party tried to sabotage the vote, defend Donald Trump and attack Democrats as deranged socialists who hate Jews in America. Um, now that the vote is passed, we've reached the stage of every racist outburst from Donald Trump where anonymous Democratic strategists tell reporters that the president wants this fight in 2020. Um, let's start with Tuesday's vote. Obviously a House resolution doesn't have the power to uh, stop the president from being racist. Um, what did it did, John? <laughs> <laughs> but the White House and Republicans still made a real effort to try to stop this thing from happening. Um, Tommy, why do you think that was, and what did you make of yesterday's antics?
3: Um, I, I think they. It did. It does matter. I think the resolution does matter. I think that. Uh, there's a lot of members of Congress, a lot of Republicans in Washington who would love to pocket the Trump's ta- tax cut to pocket a bunch of conservative judges and then pretend that the other horrible things he does do not exist. Right. That was Paul Ryan's whole strategy. That was his strategy with his therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul Ryan would sit in the car with a reporter, read Trump's tweets with him and then say, well, I don't really pay much attention to the tweets. Right. Like that was their whole goal but we need to tie them to what Trump does, good and bad. And I think the fact that there were four defections, like, look, do we wish it were more? Yes. But uh, the fact that uh, Doug Collins, the the Republican congressman, not the Sixers coach, I learned today. Not (laughs) the same person. Objected. Similar flaws. Similar (laughs) flaws. (laughs) Trust the process, Dan. Objected to the resolution on the grounds that for some reason Nancy Pelosi's comments violated the rules of decorum is a a reminder that irony is dead, right? Trump shot it on Fifth Avenue and no one gave a shit. He was right about that. But um, (laughs) it showed how deeply they didn't want to deal with this. So I think politically it was smart of them to put this resolution forward. But just stepping away from politics, I think it's good for kids in the United States, people around the world, to know that there is a big swath of people in the United States and in the U.S. government that doesn't think racism is okay or acceptable and to send that message (laughs) out.
2: I mean, yeah. including the federal government. Like, if you were a federal employee who was not the president and you told somebody to go back to their country, you would get fired yeah. for being a racist, according to the definition of the federal government. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, yeah, America, think, America is not like a wife. You can't just leave it if you don't like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Aaron, what do you think about Trump's attempt and the Republican attempt to sort of turn this into a referendum on uh, patriotism versus socialism? That was like the the, the move yesterday.
2: Uh, um, well, what I thought was, I think the patriotism versus socialism thing is really interesting um, because, to paraphrase former Senator L. Franken, uh, de- Democrats love America like an adult loves another adult, which is they critique. They are, they're honest with themselves, and Republicans expect people to love America like a toddler loves their mommy, which is where like, you just love... Everything mommy does is good, and anybody who doesn't like mommy or makes mommy sad is the very worst. Um, I think that true patriotism is engaging... <laughs> 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 I, I, think, I think true patriotism is engaging with criticism and maturity with what you're talking about also like the socialism thing I think that's kind of an antique fear the people who are Trump's most ardent supporters tend to be in an older demographic and they tend to be I guess the Fox News demographic like the demographic that's like too old to be charted those people who, who remember a time when like they were actually they agreed with Joseph McCarthy socialism was scary those are that's not something that is fresh in the memory of younger voters. Yeah. So I think that what they're trying to do is froth up people who are already at maximum froth.
1: Yeah. I also
4: <laughs> maximum froth. Yeah, that um. that, that blender has been going pretty hard for a couple of years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some stiff peaks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's ready. It's it's you have guess what? You got a meringue. You got a meringue on your hands. <laughs>
1: Love it. I also think, like, of all people to critique others for critiquing the country, Donald Trump ran his entire campaign in 2016. I mean, the slogan was, make America great again.
4: Which suggests it's not currently great. Which is not
1: currently great. He talked about how we're no better than some other countries. You know, Putin was a killer. We're killers, too. American carnage. American carnage, right? Like that one? I I don't think there's ever been a president who has... Shit on America more than Donald Trump before he got to office. Well,
4: yes, no, and it, it's actually worth—absolutely true. But I think it's actually worth like breaking down the the nuances of the way you're allowed to hate America, right? Uh, according if you're, to if that. you're white. Well, well, yes. Well, so so I mean you know, there have been Republicans that have loved America so much they threatened to secede, right, quite recently. I think some of them are in the cabinet. And uh, (laughs) there was a great article about this, actually, in New York Magazine. Basically saying that, like, what, I- what are they actually demanding when they say don't criticize America, love America the way we do? They, they demand that loyalty to America requires disloyalty to those who are marginalized. That Why is it that pointing out racial injustice, a history of racial injustice, that the, the continuing systemic inequities in our society is seen as being somehow inappropriate for an immigrant? Why is it not the opposite? Why isn't a, the failure to point that out a kind of entitlement? Uh, that shows a kind of disloyalty to the millions of Americans who don't have an equal shot? Why are black Americans less entitled uh, to the benefits of citizenship and the benefits of a defense from their fellow citizens? Why does that not count?
1: Because, you know what? Because to say that the founding promise of this country is equality and is justice would require actions on behalf of donald trump and the republican
3: party that they do not want to take right but it's just as dumb as saying that supporting the troops means you want to send them into every single war possible that's just not how this works just Um,
5: just imagine if donald trump had taken his own advice circa 2009 and left
1: (laughs) (laughs) where would he go back to dan we don't know so dan there's been a lot of commentary that trump wants this fight and that republicans want to make the squad the face of the democratic party in 2020 uh the new york times reported Moderate Democrats from swing districts said that while the president's comments had been racist, the party was playing into his hands by spending so much time, so much time condemning the remarks. Um, <laughs> do you agree that this is what Trump wants? And do you think it's a smart strategy?
5: I don't, Trump doesn't know what he wants, right? He <laughs> just says things and they happen. There is no like, right. place where the brain, there's no, there's no distance between the brain and the mouth, right? It just happens. And then everyone, then everyone spends time, whether it's the Trump campaign or Republicans or stupid pundits or moderate Democrats who hate themselves to try to figure out <laughs> how to make this good for Trump and bad for Democrats. Yeah. And so a couple points on this. One, the idea that Democrats should find ways to well, – let me put it this way. Democrats spend too much time trying to find ways to avoid the, Trump, the fights Trump – wants to pick than figuring out how to win those fights, right? Yeah. And I think there, we also have to recognize that there is, there is not an option where Trump says something horribly racist that is one of the most inflammatory things that any sitting president has said in decades. And that what Democrats can do is they can pretend like that didn't happen and then talk about pre-existing conditions. <laughs> yes, That's not yes. how the world works, right? We have to it's learn like you how can't to take be,
1: like, on. These people think that Democrats can just be like, health care, health care, health care, health care yeah. every time yeah. Trump says something
5: racist. And so <laughs> I, I think the thing for Democrats here is, one, we have a moral obligation to call out racism from our president, right? And we have – because I don't think you can overstate the damage that it does – long-term to this country, the President of the United States says something racist and then one half of our two-party system says that's fine, right? That is incredibly damaging to the moral fabric of this country. But I also think from a political strategy point of view, it's not enough just to say the President's racist. I think you have to call out the racist statement and call him out for being a racist, but also talk, talk to voters about why Trump and the Republicans from the Koch brothers to Kevin McCarthy, Donald Trump, want to divide Americans on race. And that is to distract them from the other things they are doing, giving huge tax cuts to Wall Street, paying for it by taking your health care and cutting your Medicare. The fact Trump wants he he says he's racist things because he's a racist, but also because he wants to distract from the fact that he is running the federal government like a massive Ponzi scheme to put money in his own pockets. Like we have to draw a connection between what he says and, the, and what is happening and how it affects people's daily lives. Yeah. Can I do the.
4: I also think it's worth remembering, you know, I think about election night 2016 and I think about Melania being shocked and weeping at what was about to happen Um, (laughs) because she knows him best. The reason I point that out, uh, (laughs) there was a reason. No, there is a reason. Uh, She was shocked. They were all shocked. You know, I think there's a lot of lingering anxiety that we don't know how to win, we don't know how to run, because Donald Trump is president, and it subverted a lot of our expectations and understanding about politics. But Donald Trump doesn't have all the answers, too. He was just as as surprised as anyone. And uh, Donald Trump can think something's good politics for him without being right about it.
5: Yeah, He's Uh, not well acquainted with his own political interests. Yeah,
4: and then one other thing, too, about the moral stakes of all this. It is very intense after a president of the United States tells uh, U.S. citizens to go back and members of the crowd at the rally shout, send her back, send her back, to immediately for pundits to go right to the political implications. It would be quite insensitive on the day the Titanic sank for someone to write a story about how this is a good day politically for the Lusitania. (laughs) LAUGHTER because you have to deal with the emergency itself, the tragedy itself, before you get to those, which it very well might have been. Where do well, you get these topical references?
2: <laughs> yeah, very, very zeitgeisty. Aaron, you well, a- first, of, first of all, <laughs> first of all, um, Donald Trump declares victory no matter what happens. Donald, <laughs> Cr- Dr- Donald Trump could shit his pants and fall over and been like, I totally own the libs. Like, so he's not a reliable source of whether or not he won.
3: <laughs> People shouting, shit your pants! Yeah. Shit your pants!
2: Are you triggered, snowflakes? <laughs> the president just shit his pants. John F. <laughs>
4: Kennedy Jr. is alive and he shot his pants! <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the second part of it is that we're we're kind of... I, I find I find this happens again and again. That's quite a sentence, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I find this happens again and again. Is that the political media treats Trump as though he's some sort of master uh, manipulator? He Got knows. Magic beans. Yeah, is he's he's beans he's, beans he's, a, he's a chess player. The only people in, who are who play chess involved in this are the Russians. Donald <laughs> Trump is not playing chess. Donald Trump is playing playing 52 pickup. Secondly, <laughs> uh, uh, thirdly, thirdly, I can count. Thirdly. Um, Maybe as a millennial democratic woman, I want those people to be my face. I want the four fucking women of the apocalypse. Maybe, I, maybe people like me represent what 2018 was and why the blue wave happened. And maybe, yeah, get those people out there. Get those people behind I, a microphone. I, just,
1: I, I, I totally agree with this because... We, like, I realize we all have, like, you know, we can't remember anything. Every day is memento. Um, But, like, we have memory hold the 2018 election so fast. Like, we were sitting here in October of 2018, and Donald Trump was talking about the caravan every single day. And he was talking about an invasion of America. And the Brett Kavanaugh thing was supposed to sink the election for the Democrats. And then we won the biggest House majority in decades. And it did not work. And, like... As all these pundits and all these moderate Democratic lawmakers are like wringing their hands today There's a USA Today poll out that says that like 65% of Americans believe it was a racist comment That's 75% of Democrats and even a small plurality of Republicans 45% to 34% agree that it was a racist comment Which for them is something Um, (laughs) And so like this idea that we always have to be afraid of him and that we can't speak our mind when it's something fucking obvious Like we overthink everything, you know, like people are like, oh, do we really want this in voters minds when they go to the polls like the president of the united states is telling black and brown citizens that they should leave the country the question is do you want to have a president like that or not it's that simple well i mean it's that fucking simple. there
5: is so much about this whole conversation that represents what's wrong in the political conversations country the first is the the conventional wisdom among every reporter writing about this is that it is bad for the Democrats to have the squad as the face of the party? To Aaron's point, because we only are capable in mainstream media of thinking about politics through the eyes of an imaginary white person in the exurbs of Ohio, right? right? And, it, and that, and that is—it's just such a painfully narrow view of how elections happen and who decides elections. Is that it's these swing voters who are white and they're scared of people of color, and it's just, it's so stupid. And then, the idea that we're taking, the president says something racist, and then the first analysis is not the moral consequences of that, or what that says, that the leader of this country says something racist to a rapidly diversifying country, what it means to all the all the, all the naturalized citizens of this country, everyone who are parents, children of immigrants, what it means, it's like, what are the politics of it? And the idea that you have these moderate Democrats calling up Jake Tapper to talk about it, it's like, being against racism is not a liberal or a, de- or a conservative issue. It is just a right or wrong That's issue, yeah.
1: and that like, is like
5: what is so fucking bad about Trump is he is ta- he's moved the Overton window towards awful, and that that is now. Democrats being for Medicare for all is the polar opposite of Republicans being racist. And then it's just such a stupid way of thinking of politics. And I'm not even
1: saying, I'm not advocating like throwing politics out the window here. Like I get, I definitely get the tough spot a lot of moderate Democrats are in. Impeachment, like I'm for impeachment, but I get that it's a tough debate. Immigration can be a tough debate. Um, You know, Medicare for all is a tough debate. But when there's a comment like this, this is a fucking easy one, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this well, one is you know, not but, hard. And, and,
2: that's, and that is honestly why I think Republicans are hemorrhaging conscientious voters that needed a plausible deniability before. They needed to be like, well, they're not all racist. You know, this one really loud person is racist. No, it's like, no, not only is this one really loud person racist, basically the entire House of Representatives of that party agreed that it was fine. Yeah. And that, I think, matters a lot to, not to, to, like, generalize by gender, but I think to women voters that that shit matters. And the Republican Party has been hemorrhaging female voters because of issues like this.
3: Yeah, but to John's point, like, this is easy on a moral level, but it's also, how many times have we seen Donald Trump tweet something stupid because he saw a segment on Fox and Friends and then watch the Kelly and Conway's of the world try to spin it as being some strategic political decision it was clearly not he's <laughs> a sad angry old racist weirdo who tweets crazy crap all day long and the political consequences come to him later like it, yeah. stop buying their spins the guys st- this
1: strategy now i, r- I realize that it wasn't it was not an intentional distraction, right? But Aaron, we were talking about this yesterday, and you were saying that these kind of outbursts from Trump tend to, do tend to distract from other important issues that we should be talking about. So like, how do you think we should handle these racist outbursts, which we're going to get so many more of between now and 2020, and still make sure that we as Democrats are talking about and focusing on other important issues for people.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, to bring up memento again, I think we should just start writing it on our arms. Like, (laughs) oh, Title 10 gag rule in effect this week. Uh, Abortion rights still under attack across the country. (laughs) Immigrants being treated like animals. Like, write it on your (laughs) arm. sure we know every morning. And go to a dinner party. It'll be great. (laughs) Um, But I think that we've done a pretty good job as like conscientious people of keeping things in mind because I remember a litany of distractions like when he demonized Frederica Wilson um, well, forever, uh, ten thousand years ago, yeah. back when we were young, or uh, when when Maxine Waters took the was in place of the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. Like he's constantly trying to throw out distractions, and I think it's just important for us to remember. Okay, like here's this explosive shiny object, this thing that we're looking at today. But what is it obscuring? Mueller's about to testify next week. Yeah. Another Trump crony is like on trial right now. There's a lot of shit going down, and I think we're sort of getting good at being able to remember a bunch of things at once yeah. i think
4: i do i do think it's actually instructive cause, because this is the status quo ante you know it is true we're getting older you know we can see it in the mirror <laughs> uh, but America out. does, it, you know, amidst all the kind of chaos of Trump, like the, our politics is quite frozen. It's frozen in the sense we won the House and that was a huge victory. But like Trump and the Republicans, his relationship to the media, our relationship to the media in our fight with Trump, that's all pretty frozen. And so the, thing, the question I had when I was seeing this unfold is, okay, let's presume he's going to do some more heinous version of this in September and October of, of 2020. I'm thinking to myself, okay, who is the Democrat currently running for president that I think is best able to do what Dan is saying we need that person to do, which is not run away from the fight because that's what, the, what people are going to be talking about. That's, what the, that's when they're going to cut to your campaign speech. That's when they're going to cut to your rally. But who is the best person to take to sort of, you know, like, um, when, uh, like how Black Panther, kind of his suit can catch the energy and then throw it back. Like, who's <laughs> the best person to put on that... Armor. Marianne Ka- Williams. Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Catch.
3: It's a no-brainer. Who is our Black Panther? Yeah. <laughs>
4: who is going to be our Black Panther who can absorb the, absorb the energy, make it something good, and push it back, right? Um, all right. You can all shout the, the four people everyone in this room supports. Yes, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. We know where Pod Save America I says that. A Bill Weld? <laughs> no. um,
1: all right. Well, we'll figure that out soon. Um, <laughs> And now we're gonna play a game. Now it's
4: time for okay you son of a <laughs> 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 Now it's time for OK stop. We'll roll a clip. The panel can say okay stop at any point to comment. Kellyanne Conway. She and her husband She and her husband started You guys know her? <laughs> Just get with me to the end of this. All right. (laughs) She and her husband started a sexual role-playing game three years ago where he'd he'd pretend to have principles and she'd say anything to win, but they forgot the safe word, accidentally made Trump president, and now don't know how to get out of it. (laughs) Oh, my God. The safe word was integrity. Wow. She also was asked about Trump's racist tweets, and her response was pretty alarming. Let's watch.
5: If the president was not telling uh, these, uh, these four congresswomen to return to their supposed countries of origin, to which countries was he referring?
2: What's your ethnicity? Uh,
5: <laughs> why is that relevant? Okay, stop. No, no, okay, stop.
4: <laughs> hey, Kellyanne. Um, you said the part you're supposed to just think to yourself. <laughs> you're in the middle of a giant fracas over whether or not your White House is run by a racist goon who views people and what, they're...
1: What do we think she... Ver-
4: I'm halfway through a sentence. <laughs> Are you? And whether... <laughs> 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 I'll fucking finish it now.
5: And whether all Americans words. belong
4: here, don't ask Jews what their ethnicity is.
1: <laughs> Sorry, John. Do you think, like, I st- I've watched this clip many times now. What do you think she meant by this? That's was, she, was, this thing. was this planned? Was it in the spur of definitely the moment? Definitely planned. It was was 100% she, planned. Is she talking to John Carl? Is that, what it, is that who it was?
4: No, no. it wasn't. It, it wasn't. No.
5: It, it's, is it Brian Karam, right? Right. I, I, anyway, I thought like, that
4: question too. Like I look at him, like okay, what was she going for? Because I feel like she's
5: she she's was, got her she was got her like self
1: satisfied smug look on. Like I've got. No, this. she
5: practices in the mirror. Yeah, it was supposed to be like, oh, your relatives were from Italy sixty years ago. That's what he meant. But, like, okay, if my. They, don't get me wrong, but you, okay, it but makes no sense, <laughs> and it's equally offensive. I, I, I just want to It's shat- really, her brand is stupid offensive, so. Thankfully, <laughs> but we like, got the like, Kellyanne Conway
3: whisperer out like, here. <laughs> let's, shadow box, let's shadow box Kellyanne's reflection. Like, okay, if I said, I'm not. Kellyanne has no reflection. But if I were to say- <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> but back to Tommy's point, Kellyanne Conway asked Tommy where Tommy's from. Tommy says, I was born on the Mayflower. <laughs> <And> I-,
3: <laughs> I was told somewhere to go back, no, but if I said I was Irish in Boston 40 years ago, there were signs that said Nina, no Irish need apply. So discrimination and racism is not okay in this instance. What is she fucking saying? By the way, like...
1: Like Trump gave the game away at the rally tonight because he was like, when I was talking about those four Democratic congresswomen and now I will list them off one by one. Yeah. So the whole first defense was like, who could he have been talking about? He could be talking about anyone going back. Nadler. (laughs) He was talking to Nadler. I I feel
2: like maybe it was just like a conversation that's come up among her friends that week. Like she and her cross-burning circle had all gotten the results (laughs) from Ancestry.com. Ooh, I'm 80% white hood. Like, she's <laughs> in,
3: <she's>
5: in.
3: <laughs> I'm asking a question. My ancestors are from Ireland and Italy. My own ethnicity is not relevant to the question
2: I'm asking. No, no, it is. Because asking you're asking about, he said originally. He's tired. He, we A lot of us are sick and tired of this country.
1: Okay, so <laughs> Honestly, we should clip that, put it in an ad, and just run it everywhere. <laughs> a lot Just of us know. are sick and tired. We can tell Kellyanne because there's a context coming, but whatever. Who cares? He's
5: old. His only exercise is golf, and he drives a cart. He's, he's he eats tired. a Big Mac for lunch. Like he's not up for the job. The uh,
4: it is interesting too, though, to watch how the defenders have to change their kind of their tactic midway through. Because when when Trump first tweeted it, his his, uh, his um his squad was. Uh, <laughs> Goon Squad. Graham?
3: Graham? Who's the squad? McCarthy? Graham McCarthy. Gra-
4: Graham McCarthy. But, but one of his, uh, his uh, rapid response responder uh, that...
3: Uh, powder from the movie Powder. The,
4: uh, Let's uh, not say per- his name. Who cares? Per- Permit Patty. Uh, the, uh, uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the bad guys from Roadhouse. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, the company from RoboCop. the uh, uh, <laughs> One of his biggest backers. But uh, no, th- th- they were like, uh, Donald Trump didn't say go back. If you look, the tweets clearly say he meant like go on a trip, go and come back. He's, you're being ridiculous. Everyone is lying. And then by the next day, he's like, said it, meant it, doubling down, tripling down. Well, at least
2: she looks miserable.
4: <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> <laughs> last. To
2: people who swore an oath of office. Sick and tired of our military being denigrated. Sick and tired of the Customs and Border Patrol people, uh, the protection people I was with who are overwhelmingly Hispanic by the way in McAllen, Texas. Sick and tired of them being, no, you don't understand because you didn't go. Being criticized. Okay, stop. Just stop. Why, yeah, why is the girl you wish you hadn't started a conversation with at a party in the White House... (laughs)
3: Yeah, talk about Rush Week or whatever. Yeah, seriously,
2: yeah. Cecily Strong does a great that. By a bunch I, of Hollywood D-listers like who have nothing else to do to but sit on their asses on Twitter all day and try to dox... Okay, stop.
5: Ma- nothing to do but sit on their ass and be on Twitter all day.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, look, the, the, the thing that Trump has done, that because he is so... You know, it's ironic, right, that he is one of the great liars ever to grace the office, and one of the least transparent human beings ever to grace the office, and yet psychologically, spiritually, he is so broken and unexamined that he is quite revealed before all of us, and what it does is it really does force everyone around him into this sort of like very primitive and quite basic accidental projection all the time. Like it almost like requires everyone around him to lead an unexamined life. And so they all run around all day with these unexplored thoughts and they go in front of television and say like, I know what our enemies are doing. They're tweeting all day and eating fast food. Oh, <laughs> and they don't love this country. No, they, they barely care about their jobs at all. And I, sometimes I think they don't even know why they ran. Sometimes I, think I, I, sometimes I think they don't even know why they're in the job to begin with. Maybe it's like for their own personal gain and maybe they (laughs) thought it'd be a great way to build some name recognition for your polling firm. Then all of a sudden you're the only one around and you think, well, maybe I should see this thing through. And before you know it, nobody wants your polls anymore because you're tied to this guy. And you realize, well, if he sinks, I sink. So you might as well see it all the way to the end. And then your husband's like, I'm moving to New York.
3: (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) That segment brought to you by BetterHelp.
2: <laughs> women who are diving into the Rio Grande to save people who are drowning, who are taking other people's babies into custody okay, and diapering them in.
1: I'm sorry, is that a good thing? Taking other people's babies into custody? Don't take other people's babies into custody! (laughs) Those those brave men who are stealing children from people, and you're criticizing them! How dare you!
5: We are
4: separating children at the borders and these people are not grateful at all! There's not a fake you among them!
2: We're not letting them have showers, we're not giving them soap, how dare they hate us!
1: Too dark? That's okay, stop! All right, Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the 2020 presidential primary, but I want to focus on another set of 2020 elections that are incredibly important. Uh, Last week, the battle for the U.S. Senate got a little more interesting when former Navy fighter pilot Amy McGrath announced that she's running to unseat Mitch McConnell in 2020. Republicans overall currently hold a three-seat majority and will have to defend 22 seats in the next election, while Democrats will have to defend just 12 seats. Um, still, the overall map for Democrats is only slightly better than it was in 2019, and nothing less than the fate of the party's entire legislative agenda hinges on taking back the Senate, so no pressure there. Um, Aaron, Aaron, yeah, well... Cory That's, well, why, get we're, to that's why we're doing this. You we're think we're here not going to talk state. about Cory Gardner? You guys... You guys, is, he's the top target. He's the, he's the most obvious flip here. So you guys fucked this up. That's it. Um, Aaron, let's start with how important this is for Democrats. If we win the presidency and hold the House, but don't flip the Senate, what do the next four years look like in Washington?
2: Mitch McConnell's face, really big on a lot of TVs. You don't want to look at that. Uh, <laughs> but but to be a little bit more serious uh, what that means is all of the legislative agenda items that we are excited about will just tend to be they'll just be talking points we're not going to get any of it done we're, they're all going to die in the senate and we're going to spend another 4 years becoming so frustrated with the democratic process that we elect someone even worse we we elect Omarosa. that's what we're going to do is if we we're, we're going to what's going to happen is 4 years of people, be, people being so frustrated with gridlock in Washington that they elect somebody even crazier th- than who is in office. And we we can't have that.
1: That is that is my my biggest fear. Like, well, the big fear is that we don't get any progressive legislation passed, but right? But all these Democrats come, we get rid of Trump. We have a Democratic president, Democratic house, and people think, "Well, we didn't get the Senate, but at least good things can start happening." Mitch McConnell has a tremendous amount of power in the Senate to just say absolutely no to anything that the next Democratic president wants.
3: This is the structural advantage Republicans have as a party. Democrats believe in government and using it to help people. Republicans want to shrink the government to the size of something you can drown in a bathtub. That is their stated belief and role in life. So we have a much harder job yeah. We, we want to do things. We want to give people health care. We want to cut tax for middle class families, not for giant corporations. They believe the opposite. So it's going to be tough.
2: But I think it's kind of a vicious cycle because the reality is and I think that all the, the fact that the Republicans have sided on the side of gerrymandering and Democrats are like, no, democracy uh, indicates <laughs> that there there's an acknowledgement that the majority of this country is liberal or progressive. But the minority has entrenched power, enough entrenched power that it can can kind of worm themselves into the structures for generations to come. And what is kind of a cycle that I've noticed is that what happened, like the majority will have an outcry, like this is what we want. We want people to have hea- health care and the conservative minority will use that to make themselves out to be aggrieved. And Mitch McConnell will wield that power into blocking things as though it's actually the majority. And yeah. I think that that cycle will continue to repeat itself the longer that Republicans hold the Senate.
5: Yeah, until we get rid of Mitch McConnell. So go Let ahead. me just put a hypothetical here. So let's say Democrat X wins the presidency the inauguration. During inauguration, a Supreme Court justice falls, hurts their knee, decides they don't want to, they don't want to wear rush, use crutches to go to Supreme Court, and retires. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch McConnell no. will hold Sam that s- <laughs> will hold that seat open for four years, right? Four years. Four years. There Probably. is z- there like I know we're not the prediction game, but there is basically zero chance particularly if it is a conservative justice that would shift the balance of the court, zero chance that McConnell would allow there to be a vote on a Supreme Court justice. That is the effect of what he did on the Garland thing. It's not anything about elections. It's about that a majority will not confirm a Supreme Court justice for another president.
1: Yeah, like people talk about court packing and changing the makeup of the Supreme Court and is this radical or not. Mitch McConnell will single-handedly, for the second time, change the makeup of the Supreme Court on his own against the will of the, voters. the, will of the voters by just saying we're going to have eight justices instead of nine because I'm not confirming one until I get a Republican well, president. Well I think Absolutely. Ju-
2: and then ger- so we have McConnell packing the courts to lock in the judicial uh, the judicial branch as a conservative and we have gerrymandering trying to lock up the legislative branch that basically means we're behind the eight ball forever. Right
1: so with all that said it's very important. Uh, Dan how tough is the Senate map in 2020 and what do you think is the uh, easiest or most likely path to a Democratic
5: majority? So the Senate map is relatively good for Democrats, but all Senate maps are bad for Democrats. It just, it is, I mean, it is a fundamentally anti-democratic institution in the sense that Wyoming has the same amount of power as California, right? But in this case, we're defending very few seats. We're only defending one in a tough state, which is Doug Jones in Alabama. We need to net three wins. We have uh, two Senate seats in blue states here in Colorado and Maine. We have potential pickup opportunities in battleground states in 2020, which is Martha McSally in Arizona, Tom Tillis in North Carolina. We have potential, if we get the right, if the candidates are good and the political wins are back in Georgia and Iowa, it is going to be... Tough, but it is it is a doable proposition if we have a strong can at the top of the ticket, because in almost every case, in order to pick up a Senate seat, you need the president to win that the presidential candidate of your party to win that state. We picked up a Senate seat in New Hampshire in 2016. Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire. We lost Incredibly valuable pickup opportunities in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania because Hillary Clinton lost those seats in almost every State that Obama won in 2012, he picked up Senate seats And so it's gonna to have to be a, a marriage between a good candidates running good campaigns in these states and a strong top-of-the-ticket effort
1: Love it. How excited should people get about? Uh, Amy McGrath in Kentucky obviously, on, you know in the first day she announced I think she raised like $2 million or something like that on the first day. McConnell's approval rating in Kentucky is like stuck around 36% or something like that. But what's what's the reality there? What do you think? I think it's very hard. It's going to be a
4: very hard race to win. Uh, He is powerful. He will have a lot of money. He knows how to win in that state. A lot of his people will come home. That said, when we say we need Democrats willing to fight everywhere, we don't just mean everywhere where it's easy to win. Um, And It it is not impossible for a Democrat to win a Senate seat in Kentucky unless we don't put up a good fight in Kentucky. And by the way, on the way to winning or losing a very tough race in Kentucky, forcing Mitch McConnell to campaign, forcing him to go home and make a case for himself, uh, has incredible value. It has incredible value uh, to what happens nationally if we have to spend money there. It has, it, I think it also has psychic value for all of us. You know, you know we, we, if Donald Trump had lost, the Republican Party would have engaged in a great reckoning. It was going to happen. It almost happened after 2012. There was an autopsy that says, hey guys, we can't rely on a white majority forever. We need to become cosmopolitan. We need to embrace immigration. It was Donald Trump that upended that. Uh, this kind of politics can't go on forever. Uh, Things can get worse or they can get better. And if we want them to get better, it means forcing Republicans not to confront what's broken in their party because it's morally right, because it hurts our feelings, because uh, history marches in a good direction automatically, but because they paid a price for it. This election is the chance to make them pay that price in a huge way. And if they don't have the power, if they don't have the power in the Senate to prevent us from enacting our agenda, if they really feel like they've truly lost, they really feel like they've truly lost, then they will finally have to face what they become, what they had become under Trump, and that has value. <laughs> for all that, that has an incredible value.
1: That's all. <laughs> um, so, Amy McGrath announces she has this sort of flub the first day or the first week, where she says that she. Uh, found Christine Blasey Ford's story completely believable and stuff like that, but she might have voted for Brett Kavanaugh anyway. And then, you know, within uh, 10 hours, maybe she said, no, I'm just kidding. I would not have voted for Brett Kavanaugh. I'm sorry. I listened to people I did that. But it sort of brings up a larger issue, which is how closely do you guys think Senate candidates in some of these redder states should align their message with the national party or do you think they should sort of run their own race i mean dan you were saying that s- these days like the vote for president and the vote for senate are so closely aligned there's not a lot of split ticketing anymore where a uh, state votes for one, a president of one party and a senator from another party like what do you think about that? so
5: trump beat hillary by 30 points in kentucky so for so that's a lot that is a lot it's a lot of points and for amy McGrath to win she's going to have to get double digits worth people who voted for Trump to vote for her over McConnell. Now that is that is a very tall order, and, but it, it it can be done. It's hard, but it can be done. And I think we like she is not going to do that. She has to be able to run a race that is consistent with who she is and who Kentucky is. Right? There is it is just it's a simple fact that she needs people who are going to pull the lever for Trump to pull the lever for her too. Now I don't think that means that you have to sacrifice all of your. Um, your progressive credentials that you have to just be this sort of wishy-washy moderate Democrat who cares about nothing and just sort of picks the middle between both. I mean, there, she, her positions are gonna be different than, you know, a, you know, Kamala Harris in California or whatever. And so I think it's, it's worth, we gotta give people space to do that. I have worked for a number of red state Democrats running in tough Senate races. And the best message is not that you are different from the Democratic party it is that you are an advocate for that state against both parties. And she has the opportunity, if she runs a very smart campaign, and she'll have the money to do it, to start now painting Mitch McConnell as what is wrong with Washington. And Kentucky, Mitch McConnell has been there forever. And, Kentucky, and he has been in power forever. And Kentucky's economic situation has gotten worse over that time. and But Mitch McConnell himself has gotten a lot richer right? And so if you start hammering that message now, you have a shot to do it. Yeah. So uh,
1: a lot of these Republican incumbents already, uh, Martha McSally in Arizona, Cory Gardner here in Colorado, Susan Collins in Maine, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, have already raised a shitload of money uh, for their race. So Tommy, what can Democrats do uh, whether you're in the state
3: or outside of some of these states to help take back the Senate? Well, John, we've got to get Mitch or die trying.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's our new funds that we're putting together. <laughs> um, go to votesaveamerica.com. I'm sure there'll be a fun little button there. There might be a fun little graphic that Lovett might have... Had a fun time designing or helping design. (laughs) Look, it's great. There it is. It's an Uh, upside-down turtle shell. What does it mean? You can donate money. You can donate money today, tomorrow, whenever you want to do it to the candidates who are running for Senate in 2020. You can pick who you want to give to, you can say give equally to all of them, but we have to remember that these races are happening and that they matter and that all the things that are being promised to us on the presidential campaign, whether it's Medicare for all, criminal justice reform, all the things we care about, none of them are gonna happen if Mitch McConnell's dead-eyed turtle ass is sitting there blocking it. So check it out, give big. And look,
1: The reason we're doing this now, it's obviously super early in the primary season. There's going to be a heated primary here in Colorado, which is great. You guys have a bunch of great Senate candidates. Um, We have that situation in a few different of the states that are up. But the idea with this fund is the money that you give will go to the eventual Democratic nominee, whoever uh, she or he may be, in that Senate race. So give now, give early. It's super important. We'll give you, a, I think when you go on the site, we'll give you the tiers of like who we think's most likely to win, the easier states down to the harder states. And you can give to all equally or you can pick who you want. So, but yeah, go to Vote Save America and, uh, and start giving. Um, when we come back, we will have your governor, Jared Polis. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to
4: squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John?
1: Yeah, that's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Mm -hmm. More time for you. I, uh...
4: You know, because we've been doing what a weekday, Mm -hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake.
1: So, uh, what do you spend time doing in therapy now? Well,
4: now I brought therapy back. I added therapy back to another time because uh, it turns out talking that's going
1: to make the jokes better. Well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. <laughs> if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot PSA.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail.
4: He's an entrepreneur, former member of the House of Representatives, and the Democratic governor of Colorado. Please welcome Governor Jared Polis. Look at that. Wow. Standing ovation.
6: It's for having Pod Save America right here in Denver, Colorado.
4: What a politician. What a pander. All right, so here we are in Colorado. Dems have uh, complete control of the state capital thanks to huge wins in 2018. Uh, you just finished the legislative session where Dems passed free full-day kindergarten, limited the cost of insulin, allowed local governments to raise the minimum wage, banned conversion therapy for minors, and signed a plan to get the state to 100% renewable energy by 2040. Uh, do elections matter?
6: Wow. Oh. <laughs> Elections, elections make a huge difference, and it's these people here who made this opportunity for the Democrats to govern. So thank you all for giving us the chance to get all this great work done.
4: So one of the laws you passed here, it's called the Red Flag Gun Bill. It, w- it would allow... Uh, Guns to be uh, seized from people who are determined by a court to pose a significant risk to themselves or others. Colorado is a state with a lot of gun owners, a lot of people who oppose gun control. Uh, What lessons did you learn about how to tackle this issue uh, that's obviously incredibly uh, politicized, uh, especially at the national level?
6: Well, you know, I mean, Colorado has a long track record of of leadership in this area, respecting uh, the Second Amendment rights of gun owners, and uh, we have many in the state, and of course, many of them vote for our Democratic candidates as well, but uh, we also want to make sure that uh, we have uh, we have safety gun safety measures that are really common sense, and so I mean this one is very common sense i mean we 're talking about folks you know here often it's it 's a parent of a nineteen year old or a twenty year old and uh, maybe they have a uh, uh, they're on a temporary hold for a mental health issue, and then when they get out, there's, there's no legal way that, without that red flag law, that they could temporarily lose access to a gun. And, and tragically, that often ends in suicide. Uh, it can end in violence. And so this is a mechanism that other states have. Now Colorado has it, that if somebody is having a mental health crisis, the loved ones around them can at least temporarily uh, remove their access to weapons.
4: So, uh, also here in Colorado, uh, you just joined uh, the National Popular Vote Compact, (laughs) the Interstate Compact. This is where states agree to give over their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote. Do you think this this has a chance of actually uh, going into effect, of becoming how we choose presidents?
6: well it, it it should be who I mean it's common sense in a republic whoever gets the most votes should be president you think so you think so um, and and it's a it's a systemic risk to this system with this electoral college I mean you know you can have unfaithful electors uh, you can have a lot of unpredictable outcomes that could lead towards towards chaos in the country We came close to that in Bush v Gore and we came close to that again so um, yes, whoever gets the most votes should be president. Ideally, that should be done by Congress through a constitutional amendment. That's something I supported when I was back uh, as, a, as a representative in Washington. Uh, whether this, this workaround will ever happen or not, it's, it's hard to predict. I actually think no. What I think will happen is when it gets close, there's enough pressure on Congress to act uh, and pass an amendment to do it the, the, the normal way. But it, it can happen this way if enough states do it. The other thing I've said is what probably it'll take politically for it to happen uh, is, you know, we, we value our integrity and our intellectual sin- sincerity on our side of the aisle. Right, folks? We do. Um, not everybody on the other side does. What, what that means is it might very well take a Republican candidate winning the popular vote, but a Democratic Democratic candidate for president getting in through the Electoral College... Um, as By the a way, pre- i d-
4: let you know something. Yeah. On that day, yeah. I come to be a great defender of the Electoral College. See,
6: I won't... <laughs> Come on, we have more integrity than that. Don't count Whoever on it. Whoever gets the most votes should be president. You will. the you Republicans will flip when that happens. <laughs> you are <and> looking
4: we'll, <laughs> at a crowd of human beings who will come to believe deeply in electoral college. That's the secret. That's the secret. You have integrity if you believe it. <laughs> so let's talk about health care. Uh, one of the biggest debates we're having among Democrats running for president is around this issue between... Medicare for all, and those pushing for Medicare access but leaving much of the private system in place. One candidate on the trail said this today. If you want to win a Senate seat in the state of Colorado, you got a really great opportunity to do it this year. If you're for Medicare for all, you're going to lose. And if that's the Democratic Party's position, we're going to lose. We have to not disqualify ourselves. His name, it says here, is Senator Michael Bennett. Uh, Do you think he's right about that?
6: No, I think what people want are solutions that will save the money on health care. And people are smart and they're willing to listen to what those are. If you want Medicare for all, tell people what that plan is. If you have another plan, tell people what that is. Uh, I, I don't think people are as attached to what you call it as they are to the results. How do we not only cover everybody, but also save people money? Stop the prescription drug companies from ripping us off. Stop the insurance companies from ripping us off. That's what we need to accomplish.
4: It seems like... Uh On Medicare for All, one of the challenges, or at least one of the questions people have is how do you convince people who like their current insurance who are worried about the transition? What's your argument around that? It's a
6: pretty simple one, really, because while the Medicare for all would be a base level of coverage, you absolutely would allow people, just as people who have Medicare recipients today have supplemental programs, they, many of them through their retirement program or on their own, Medicare uh, Plus. So again, it's the baseline for everybody, but in no way does it preclude additional insurance or, or private pay on top of that if you want additional services.
4: Um, another issue where you've been, uh, I think, ahead of a lot of Democrats is on impeachment. Uh, you, were, you were for it, uh, for opening an impeachment inquiry when you were a member of the House. Um, uh, it was one of the last things you did, I believe, before you became governor. What is your argument to some of the more reluctant members of the Democratic caucus who are worried about what impeachment means for democratic politics.
6: Well, I think you need to have the investigation and open it up and, and have the subpoenas and have the hearings. Uh, you know, I don't think we should prejudice where it goes, but I think that's Congress's job to to a certain extent. Now, it gets complicated as you get into an election period. I mean, Trump is on the ballot. Uh, it looks like a political prank if you do it a few months before the election. So, again, I, I wish that Congress had proceeded a, a year ago, two years ago. Uh, maybe they could proceed now. But at some point, you do have to say, look, this is somebody that we have to beat at the ballot box. Uh, the American people don't want to see this in the midst of an election. So, again, it's the process. Congress should do its job. Uh, but at the end of the day, whatever they do, the main thing we need to do is, is beat Donald Trump.
4: Would you say that? Would you say that the fall... This fall of 2019 is the last opportunity for I mean,
6: absent some some change, right? And by some change, what that means is a political change, uh, meaning that all of a sudden there is more bipartisan support, uh, which would be a game changer if, uh, you know, more than my brave friend, Justin Amash, former Republican at this point. um, But if other Republicans stood up uh, and, and, and supported moving forward with that inquiry, I think that would be a game changer.
4: Uh, You, before getting into politics, you were an entrepreneur uh, in tech. Uh, You built businesses. You know more about this issue than most politicians. Where do you stand on this question around uh, monopoly and whether or not Facebook should be broken up?
6: That's interesting. Um, Antitrust is absolutely critical. Uh, You know, you have to have competition for a market to work. That means you have to allow an upstart. That's why I support, for instance, net neutrality uh, before we get to, to Facebook. Net neutrality is incredibly important. And by the way, we passed pretty much everything we could do, pushing the envelope for net neutrality here in Colorado in the absence of national leadership. But why is it important? It's not just a consumer issue. It is. But it's also about anybody with a thousand bucks and a server in their garage having the same access to millions of eyeballs as the Googles of the world and the Facebooks of the world. Um Yeah, so I mean, antitrust is critical. You have to look at defending, what defining kind of what is the competitive landscape, and no company should be allowed to have market setting power to the detriment of anybody else. Um, And so that's that's kind of what you have to look at the lens with. You know I've been busy being Governor, so I haven't been able to think about what, what that means for Facebook, which it needs a deliberate process about, but that should be applied to everybody, whether it's Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft back in the day. Uh, you need to make sure that while we want everybody to compete on a level playing field, nobody can use a monopoly uh, to drive out the competition
4: so time for gay news uh, <laughs> I You don't know why I did that, and honestly, I don't know why I did it, but they know. (laughs) You and Kate Brown in Oregon are the first openly LGBT governors in the U.S. Uh, We now have a a gay person running for president uh, on the Democratic side. What do you make of Mayor Pete's campaign as someone who has uh, broken this barrier herself?
6: Well, it's great. I mean, it's great to see the diversity of the Democratic field, right? I mean, to have, uh, you know, uh, African-American woman running, to have uh, a gay man running. I mean, it's, to have a field that looks a little bit more like America than any time in American history is very exciting, regardless of which candidate you like, right? Um, and you see up on that stage, you know, women and not a woman, but women, right? Right. We've had women, several. Uh, a gay man, uh, Latinos, African Americans—plural, right? African Americans. This is this is really exciting. This is real exciting. This is the face of America.
4: Have you ever felt pressure as a gay person uh, who is trying to break this barrier and prove that gay people can win anywhere in this country? To uh, and I'm going to say it this way, and to not gay it up—that <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> call it whatever you want, covering what have you, but that. Uh, people are, are, have you ever worried that people are comfortable with a gay candidate but that you feel pressure to make people who might be uncomfortable with homosexuality or femininity more comfortable by not, you know,
6: gaying it up? Well, I really wanted to be the first uh, gay Jewish political podcast host with a million listeners. But, but, but... Instead, here I am. Two podcasts with a million listeners. There you go. (laughs) Who's counting? Who's counting? Um, So, you know, I I do identify that. I mean, I follow the presidential race, obviously. I'm I'm, I'm following the ups and downs, but I mean, I see some of the the slack against Mayor Pete, and and I felt the same thing in, in my race. I mean, there's always people who think you're too gay and people who think you're not gay enough. And it's all you can do in answer to that is just be yourself. I mean, just be yourself, be authentic, be who you are. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I never hide it. I never hit it. You know, people know my partner. He does public things. I also don't bring it into everything because why would you? If you're straight, you're not like bringing it into everything either. Like, by the way, I'm straight. I mean, it's just not something you, you say all the time. So it's, I treat it just like I was straight, but I happen to be gay. So, I mean, you know, it's just who I, part of who I am and don't hide from it and don't run towards it. It's just part of it.
4: Even more controversial, uh, you're also openly a gamer. Uh, A proud gamer American. Uh, As am I. Oh, are you? Cool. Two gay gamers.
6: Let's do it. Let's play sometime. That'll be great.
4: Listen, if you think I come on these tour tour trips without a Nintendo Switch in my backpack, you're incorrect. Oh,
6: I'm I'm actually more of a PC guy than a console guy. PCs! You know, maybe we can't cross this divide.
4: Uh, no, but what are, what are you playing right now?
6: Uh, League of Legends is uh, League of Legends. Anybody got some? Yeah, so that's the one. You know, Marlon and I play that a lot. Uh, we also play some oldies ourselves: Age of Mythology, Civilization. Okay. Uh, games like that. I was in Age
4: of Empires. Man, have you ever played Diablo three? Uh, absolutely, we completed it. You played Diablo three all the way to the end. Absolutely. What kind of character?
6: Oh god, this was a while ago, wasn't? it? Oh, it was Diablo two. I know what. No what? Diablo Diablo, two. You played Diablo. We didn't play the nastily multiplayer one. That was three, right? No, we we did two all the way through. Okay. Two all the way through is the last one we did. Wizard, demon hunter. What are we looking at? Uh, Marlin was whatever that one is that summons all the like familiars and animals and stuff. Oh yeah yeah. I was like the. I don't know if it was barbarian or fighter. I was (gasps) like the one that just goes. Oh, you just like to run into
4: the fucking. You tank it. I'm a tank. You get a good amount of good shield. (laughs) Hey, metaphor.
6: I take all of that in politics, so I'm accustomed to it, right?
4: That was my next question. What does this teach you in politics? We can skip it. Uh, uh, So, you know, Colorado is going to be the epicenter of one of the most important Senate races. You know, you've just had this incredible uh, legislative session. Uh, You're making progress in turning the state uh, uh, reliably blue. What can people here do to get involved and, and... and help, and help continue the progress you've made.
6: And, and the main thing to understand is we're not, at any any way, shape or form, reliably blue. This is going to be a hotly contested race. Uh, and we have a lot of great candidates running, as you know. Any one of them can beat Cory Gardner, uh, by the way. And and that will depend on, on your work, right? And, and my work and, and their work and, and everybody's work. But it'll take all of us working together to do that. Uh, I think it's fair to say there's no path to a Senate majority that doesn't go through Colorado. So we have to win this one. You ever play Portal?
4: You should play Portal. Is it on
6: PC or just
4: console? I think you can get it on PC. Okay. You should try Portal. Guys, give it up for your governor, Jared Polis. Thank you so much for being here, governor. This is great. This is great. One more time for Governor Polis. When we come back, we're going to play a game.
0: Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost
5: every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious.
0: New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious.
3: When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, Is there a door
6: behind all those spiders?
3: It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation.
6: Ah, This is perfect.
3: Relax, you booked a verbo.
5: And we're back!
4: <laughs> Colorado. Nature's resplendence in every direction, crisp mountain air sweeping over snow-capped peaks, raging waters, and marijuana dispensaries of untold beauty. <laughs> it is truly a state of wonders. But that's not all Coloradans share. What brings you together as you hike and bike and snowboard, which is just skiing for people who think Hoobastank is underrated, (laughs) is a deep and abiding love for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. No, I don't know what you're booing. You love Mitch McConnell, you outdoorsy Trump enablers. (laughs) While you're walking down a quaint street that ends in a Bob Ross quality vista, you're empowering Mitch McConnell. While you're testing out a new sativa lemon drop, you're giving Mitch McConnell the votes to put anti-choice judges on the bench. And while you're waiting for that bittersweet moment when the snow and tourists arrive with jackets that still have last year's ski tags on them as if that's fucking cool, (laughs) you're helping Mitch McConnell block investigations into Trump's abuse of power. Because Colorado, you send Cory Gardner to the Senate. And he may play a moderate on television, but in reality, he's anything but. So as we launch, crooked Senate campaign to get Mitch or die trying. It's time to play Corey Gardner, Moderate in the Streets, McConnell in the Sheets, and MAGA where it counts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the image. <laughs> Would someone out there like to play the game? Yes! <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Fully freaking out. Hi, what's Hello, your name? I'm Shannon. Shannon. How Hi. you doing?
2: I'm doing great.
4: And you're from Colorado. I am, yeah. And are you going to do everything you can to defeat Cory Gardner?
2: Absolutely.
4: Great. <laughs> Shannon, you guys have your cards? We're ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Let's talk about Trump's border wall. According to the Denver Post, Gardner told reporters in 2017, quote, I don't think the wall is the best idea. And in a telephone town hall a month later said, I believe we have to have border security, but I do think billions of dollars on a wall is not the right way to proceed. Sounds moderate. What happened when Trump declared a national emergency to fund his dumb border wall even after Trump shut the government over the wall and Congress still said no to that funding?
1: Is it A? Cory Gardner took the floor and said, It's imperative for the president to honor Congress's constitutional role. A national emergency declaration is a tool to be used cautiously and sparingly before joining 59 senators of both parties to vote no. Or is it B?
2: Cory Gardner took the floor and said, If your faithfulness to this Constitution depends on which party controls the White House, then you're not faithful to it before joining 59 senators of both parties to vote no.
3: Or is it C? Cory Gardner took the floor and said, as a U.S. senator, I cannot justify providing the executive with more ways to bypass the Congress before joining 59 senators of both parties to vote no. Guys, for those listening at home, Cory Gardner did not walk out here and
4: do that <laughs> reading. <laughs> that was unfucking canny I'm
5: freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> or is it D? <laughs> Corey Gardner took to the Senate floor and said nothing. Voted with McConnell and Trump, then put out a statement blaming Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I'm going to go D. You're right.
4: And uh, fun fact, Shannon, all those quotes about the border will that Gardner supported were from Republicans who voted no.
2: Fascinating. Also, he only does telephone town halls. You mentioned that. He doesn't do town halls in person. That's he doesn't do
4: thing town halls in person. Yeah, Thank you. He doesn't you. do that. that, <laughs> that it was great. I'm glad you chimed in there. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Sorry. I gotta mix it up. I gotta mix it up. All right, question two. <laughs> Shannon, you're, do, you're doing so good. I'll be good. Of course. <laughs> Cory Gardner may be a Republican, but he's a Republican that's willing to buck his party and vote with Democrats when he thinks it's the right thing to do, no matter what the consequences may be. He's not like a famous Trump flunky like Lindsey Graham, and he's not some right-wing attack dog like Tom Cotton. He's Cory Gardner, a good guy. Which senator has a more pro-Trump voting record according to the website 538?
1: Is it A? A famous Trump flunky like Lindsey Graham.
5: Or is it B?
2: Some right-wing attack dog like Tom Cotton. Or is it C?
5: It's Cory Gardner. Or is it...
2: (laughs) <laughs>
5: or is it D? Yeah. It's clearly Corey Gardner. <laughs> C and also D.
4: Correct. <laughs> Bonus question, that's right. He has a more pro-Trump voting record than those two guys. Bonus question, without going over, how often does Corey Gardner vote with Trump?
2: 75. No, no, 90, 95. You
4: got, oh 90 God. Two, Shannon, 92! You gotta just go I'm with so your gut. I'm so sorry. It's 90. Well, it's gonna say you got it. It was one of the numbers Thank said. you said. <laughs> <laughs> Question three, now it's time for the Cory Gardner so moderate it hurts lightning round.
3: <laughs> That's a new one.
4: I love that. Can we That's that bad. The <laughs> Here's how it works, Shannon. We're gonna go around and around and we're gonna read you facts that may or may not be facts. If you think they're true statements about Cory Gardner, you say true. If you think they're not, you say false. Are you ready? John, kick us off.
1: Cory Gardner spent years complaining about deficits, so he took a principled stand against the Republican tax cuts, which sent the deficit back up
3: to a False. trillion dollars. False. <laughs>
2: Correct. Cory Gardner spent years complaining about deficits and then voted for the Republican tax cut because he never actually cared about deficits at all. True.
3: Got it. When a group of disability rights protesters organized a sit-in in Cory Gardner's office over health care, Gardner sat with them and listened... <laughs> Despite disagreeing with their views. False. Correct.
5: Oh, sorry. No. He had them forcibly removed by the police. True. True.
1: Cory Gardner is just Ben Shapiro aged up with that face app.
5: Honestly, true. It's true. Technically
4: false. <laughs>
1: See, Shannon, I disagreed with that one. Yeah.
4: I think <laughs> Thank it's you. True. I nice Look, jobs. the games aren't a democracy. <laughs> It's American 2019, nothing is. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Too much? All right. Next.
2: He's voted to confirm every single Trump judge and nomination without exception, no matter how unqualified or radical. True.
3: No, that's actually false. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He's voted to confirm every single Trump judge and nominee except for once, just once, which means it's not like he doesn't know how. Okay, true. (laughs) That one's true, yeah we got got one no, because he's crafty. Because he's
5: crafty. The League of Conservation Voters gives Cory Gardner a 7% score on environmental issues, which is only slightly better than both Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz, two of the most extreme members of Congress.
1: True. False. This is hard. (laughs) The League of (laughs) Conservation Voters gives Cory Gardner a 7% score on environmental issues, which is worse than both Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz, two of the most extreme members of Congress. Oh, that one hurt, didn't it? True.
4: That's true. We got it.
2: After Congress failed to repeal the Affordable Care Act, Gardner complained privately to his fellow Republicans that, quote, donors were furious because they didn't keep their promises. False.
4: No, that's true. He was uh, mad about uh,
3: he was mad for the donors. Uh, when Trump said four women of color who are also citizens and elected members of Congress should quote, go back to where they came from, which is literally used as an example of racism from the government manual on racism, bipartisan hero, Cory Gardner, denounced Trump immediately.
2: <laughs> false.
3: Correct.
5: Gardner waited until Monday to denounce the comments as racist. True. But no, he's, that's it false. Was weak. It was that's weak. That's false.
1: <laughs> Gardner waited until Tuesday to denounce the comments as racist. False. Still false.
2: When a conservative radio host asked Gardner about the Trump tweet on Monday, he responded by talking about the Bureau of Land Management. (laughs) True. And the host then laughed in his face. And when he finally was forced to respond under pressure from Democrats, he said bravely, I disagree with the president's comments. Yeah, that's it. True.
4: Yeah, that's right. I
5: remember that. statement.
4: So he said nothing on Monday. Then on Tuesday, under pressure from Wednesday. Wednesday. On Wednesday, <laughs> he finally managed to muster. I disagree with the president's <laughs> comments. Bipartisan hero, Cory fucking Gardner. <laughs> Shannon, you've won the game. <laughs> Woo! And so, Colorado, after you go to votesaveamerica.com/slash/getmitch, where we will get Mitch or die trying. Do everything you can to knock on doors and help defeat Cory Gardner, because as your governor said, we cannot win the Senate unless we win in Colorado. Thank you guys
1: for playing. Thank you to Governor Polis for joining us. Thank you all for sticking with us. Uh, We love you, Denver. We'll be back again
3: soon.
0: Three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Trader. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every
5: day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. Who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome.
0: New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious.